There are things known, and there are things unknown. And in between are the doors of perception. Aldous Huxley. Bending, Not Breaking. Season 3, Episode 6. The Avatar and the Fire Lord. We're back with another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. You are so loud when I, you it's do never that. Gonna change. So one time when I was young, like like third grade, like it's so loud. My teacher wrote on my report card. We all jumped. Has a, has a booming voice. Who? My teacher on my third grade report card wrote, "Has a booming voice. Needs to work on it." And so you're choosing to embrace it rather than work on it. Yeah, it's part of my identity. I'm keeping it. Okay. All right. I'm Did just it, saying it throws me off every time. It really is. Is it peak the sound, Max? <laughs> Max doesn't have a microphone this episode. That's we, right, because we have a guest. That's right. That's another special guest. That's right. But first, I'm I'll Ben Pruitt. I love just taking Who are you? the mic away from Max. I already said I'm Sunshine Mayfield. Oh, I'm Ben. And then our guest. Hi, I'm the voice <laughs> actress for Cricket. For <laughs> <laughs> A totally funny joke, and I botched it because Cricket Lee May Whitman is the voice actress for Katara. Yes, May is the character voice for Cricket Lee. Yeah, it's all, it all a mess. I'm super funny. My name is Cameron. Hi, Cameron. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on. This is already going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> this is wonderful. Cricket was on the show last week and was phenomenal. Love her. Love her. It's so cool. Yeah, as a like just having a mental health expert. Uh, coming in to provide us with wonderful context and voice actress. Really cool. So cool. And that's what's great is, Cameron, how are you going to follow that up? Uh, I'm not. <laughs> really. uh, <laughs> I'd like to make it very clear. I'm going to blame, though, that I was just still shaken from the jump from your introduction. See? 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 Yeah. You'll, you'll get used to it. Yeah. But, yeah. So, C Cameron, tell us a little bit about you and, like, uh, what led you from A to B to C to eventually getting on this podcast? Like, how did you, how do I, like, how do you know us? What, like, what's, what's the deal here? <laughs> what was your life path that, yeah. <laughs> that converged well, <laughs> to this Harmonic podcast? convergence, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> what led you here, I... <laughs> which is clearly the pinnacle? <laughs> this is it. This is, this is peak. This is the peak. I, uh, I started watching Avatar when it aired in... Yeah, it was a long time ago. It's 2005. Yeah. Uh, which, yes. like, to me, seems yeah. like when people say 10 years ago, I'm like, yeah, the mid-2000s. But it was actually 15 Yeah, isn't that crazy? And, uh, <laughs> so that's terrifying. Uh, but I, I've, I was a long-time watcher. It captivated me to see a program that did not, like, talk down to... Like, I was not a child at the time. But yeah. that didn't talk down to the audience it was working with. Um, and so, like, I obviously became hooked right away. Almost every episode I caught, um, there was some weird stuff with airing season three where they like didn't air it for a while or didn't publish anyway. Uh, and then it, it kind of it was a staple because in college, like when I when Netflix first started being a mm -hmm. online streaming, when service, you had to have like the disc to put in, yes. like to upload it to your device <laughs> old school netflix but i actually had the like dvds and then but when it started streaming on netflix when they started streaming avatar was one of the things they had and i was like oh loop this the entire time you know in my dorm room it was like constantly on but uh it got me through a lot 
I mean, obviously, I think we all know that, like, there's a lot of wisdom to be found in the show. For sure. Hello, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, we are benefiting greatly from the wisdom that we did not write and have yeah. anything to do with. It's wonderful. Right. Repeating wisdom that yeah. other people wrote. Yeah. People make a whole career off of that. Yeah, just regurgitating. <laughs> like, a, like the audience is our baby bird. I'm so jealous of you. Max didn't like that joke. <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm jealous that you got to experience it live because I didn't find Avatar until much later. I, I found it. I found I was watching it like on I think Amazon had it for free and I watched it on Amazon Prime and uh, I started watching it just on a whim. And all of a sudden I was like binging it until I finished because I was just like, oh, my God, this is so good. And then I watched it subsequently multiple times and then talked sunshine into it. Right. Yeah. It was, like, I'm kind of jealous that you got to experience it live. Oh, so great. I mean, it, it is a big part of, like, how I got to where I am. I'm a huge dork. Uh, Love that. Obviously. <laughs> uh, you quoted Aldous Huxley, which is funny because I'm wearing a Doctor Strange shirt, uh, which is the doors <laughs> of perception. Anyway, uh, it, uh, it really got to me. Um, <laughs> it, it helped shape me into who I am, like a lot of nerd things in pop culture. That was my point, by bringing up my geekiness. It, help shape a lot of who I was, the mythology and the world building, all of, all of that stuff. Cause I love writing and themes and like analyzing film and television and that kind of stuff. That's what I like to do. That's like, awesome. I'm that guy that spends hours watching, you know, uh, like Lindsay Ellis on YouTube or like film critiques yeah. and film re uh, reviews. Look up Lindsay Ellis. She's great. Cool. So I, I love having this perspective as almost like super fan kind of a deal in terms of being uh, someone who's really just invested in the material in a way that we never got to do because we didn't, we literally didn't get it to see it when it was airing, right? Yeah. And so that's really awesome that we get to have this really cool, unique perspective. And it's cool to talk about perception today because viewing it even now, even though I viewed it, you know, then viewing it now as an adult. Oh, that's so cool. Perspective. That's great. Which is even weird for me as viewing it as an adult and then viewing it with it intention and lenses each episode is absolutely a different hugely right. different i noticed some things on this rewatch that i never noticed before just because of looking at it through the lens of perception and it was really like some things were a little problematic that i did not find problematic before which was pretty fascinating Speaking of... You didn't think Sozin's behavior was problematic the first time No, around. no, no. That wasn't what I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, it was pretty that problematic. That went over your head the first time you watched the show? Generous assumption, Sunshine. Generous assumption. I tried so hard to have the most generous assumption of Sozin. It didn't work. I still have a very terrible first draft. Well, well maybe we'll work through that. Maybe. But let's him. let's start let's start at the beginning and talk about our lens. So we chose perception, right? And uh, I'm curious, just for either of you, like what what does perception mean, so that we can all be on the same page? Go ahead, I, yeah, I, take it away. I was deferring to you. Oh, that great. Was me uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think for me, it's perception is our experiences our lenses our biases everything that come together the way that we view a, a world or a moment or a happening um and then the quote that always comes to mind is perception is reality um my perception of what is going on is my truth of what is going on um and so that is something that i think we need to challenge this episode mm. and but that's when i think of perception that's typically the the way that i think of it 
I loved the definition actually when I looked it up on this, just from dictionary.com is, or the, I don't even know if it's that, but dictionary, Sponsor Google, us. Google dictionary, right? <laughs> uh, the, it's the ability to become aware through our senses, which hmm. y'all, that's like the purpose of this podcast is become more aware, right? And not yeah. necessarily through our senses, but like to become aware period and like perception. That's a really interesting definition yeah. for me. I, I, I think that's, actually really that encompasses it <laughs> good job dictionary.com or whoever gives this podcast money first yeah yeah let's start a bidding war between mary and webster <laughs> and dictionary.com I'm, I'm here for that yeah i uh i think for me it, it's definitely uh playing off of that and kind of like what sunshine was saying it's about you know your experiences because that's how you view the world so i mean and which is perception so how do you view what you're seeing how do you view the world how do you experience the media you're taking in yeah well i think you used the analogy uh during a mini episode a few weeks back about uh a mirror and the way that we see ourselves and the oh, perception yeah. of ourselves yeah and how the people that we surround you ourselves to with, my mini episode i hope you listen to mine oh sure totally totally so totally. um <laughs> <laughs> But I think it is important that the, the way that we view the world, the impact that the people that we're with, the people that we surround ourselves with, how they shape that perception as well. So it's almost a joint perception that's created by other people and the people that you live with or you're near. I think that's probably important to lift up to before we dive into this uh, this very dense dense yeah, episode this is, this is a that is episode. told by percept like different perspectives, right? Exactly. Then. So, we see how those navigate each other, but we see them through one story, which I think is interesting because it that plays is... together like it's one combined story, so not necessarily two different perspectives on it. I mean, you hear you hear a concept in writing about you know a reliable narrator or an unreliable narrator, but this story has two narrators, so are, I assume right? they're both reliable because they don't seem to contradict each other. They don't, but you would assume. But going into it, you would think that the one who's got his story hidden and doesn't want anyone to find it. Yeah, like probably might not be telling his whole truth. Well, yeah. it's so interesting how we can tell the same story, but our motives are completely different. In that, you know, in the same, you might be talking about the same events, but the motives behind those events come right. come across completely differently. So let's talk about motives real fast. Let's jump into the episode if if we can. I'm ready. Uh, yeah. The motive of I, I we're so prosperous. I want to share that prosperity with the world. Mm. Good old imperialism. Yeah, under under this guise of no, I really want to take the world over, but he does he truly believe in that moment? I want to share this with the world by conquering it. So I don't. He didn't say that. He says we are so prosperous. I want to share that with everyone. Yes, but he did not say through conquering it. Well, w would you? But did he was conquering it the way that he wanted to go about it, or did he truly believe in just sharing the ideals of the Fire Nation? The fact that he started, I mean, we're shown that he starts colonizing the Earth Kingdom because uh, Roku goes to investigate and sees the banner, and that's because Avatar State blows that, up that the building, prompts the uh, <laughs> throne room fight. That wasn't a fight. There was no. There was, yeah, no, there was fight. no fight there. <laughs> That's that fair. was one individual swinging and missing and then being uh, put yeah. up on top of a earth pike. I want to <laughs> see the servants have to take him down. Right. Yeah. Who, earth who pike. got him down? <laughs> but did you notice Roku didn't use firebending against Sozin? I 
You no, I did not notice. In that fight, he uses earth. He uses air, uh, but he does not. He destroys the throne room with a big blast of air. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he puts Sozin up on the earth pike. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but <laughs> I wonder if that's you know like because I can outmatch him this way, or if it's he's a better firebender than I am. Interesting. Very interesting. Just something I noticed on this watch through. But I like to think of it as I like. Look what I learned. You don't know this. <laughs> this is I mean, me in pe- a way, I'm peacocking right? Yeah. right now. Like, I think he was demonstrating exactly what it, it was to, like, this is um, an, an example of the power that I have gleaned over time. And I am now able to use things that you aren't. And I'm going to show you that. Correct. Yeah. Right? So... That kind of is interesting because I want I want to talk about that moment because Roku I, I think that when Sozin said that Roku reacted in a way that was problematic for me. Well, because our reactions always tell me more. That's all we hope that that's that's what we've kind of said. Like, <laughs> right? talk to me more about why that's what you believe in well, and it, what you want to do versus no, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Well, which I think I just, that's like think about that though. How could this? entire scenario have been different if roku had reacted in a compassionate way and said i don't understand can you tell me more about what you mean and then had a not aggressive reaction but rather a conversation about the implications that's interesting because think about who roku's avatar guide would have been which is kiyoshi right take no prisoners kiyoshi (laughs) (laughs) i haven't read the novel yet i like kiyoshi yeah she's fun she is fun. Head cannon, she murdered him. Show cannon, <laughs> I think he just fell. I think he fell. But head cannon, she murdered him. Also, internet cannon. <laughs> yeah. People are very much behind the Kyoshi likes to kill people. Yeah. I I haven't read the novel, so I don't have an opinion on that yet. But no, I, I, I'm basing this on the, the show. The novel is great, though. Uh, highly recommend. Um, but that I think that Roku... I, th- I think it could also be attributed to, you know how when, I mean, these these two have been friends their entire life. So it's possible that you think you know a person really well and you take a guess, wrong or not, but you take a guess without really getting to know them. You're like, based on my experience with you, I know that this is what you mean. And so I'm going to react. And like, he was right. Let's be, like, let's be honest. He was right. He yep. assumed correctly. And I just, I just wonder if, all of this could have been prevented had he reacted differently. I think so. I, I, I legitimately think so. I think with the conversation around, tell me why you feel this way, let's talk about this, all would have been possible. I, I wonder how much of Sozin's behavior is also triggered by, I was supposed to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the Fire Lord. I'm supposed to be the most powerful being in, in at least my friend group, Yeah. as opposed to, and then finding hey, out when you're 16 that your best, best friend, friend is the avatar. Yeah. When you're 16 and super vulnerable and testosterone is everywhere. Yes. No, but like really though, that's real. Oh. Yeah. And so how much does that play into him like, no, I'm, I'm going to prove I'm more powerful than you. Yeah. Wow. I Which, think that's got to be a part of it. Well, we see that at the end, I feel like too. This I final, like, this final dagger of, I bested you. I'm better than you. Well, okay, can we talk about that? I know we are, we're jumping around, but, like, goodness, like, this is a, such a big point. So, like, he goes, 
to help Roku. He, from a hundred miles away, he feels the earth quaking. He sees the smoke. He sees this volcano erupting. He travels. He gets there. He helps out. You know, and then he gets his life saved. He he gets I, his life I'm saved. Very, I feel I'm very he, passionate. He that saves that Roku's life. Absolutely. No, he, Roku. Like Roku saves you know, Sozin. I don't know. And so, then yes. Roku saves Sozin. Correct. And then when finally Roku is taken down by this toxic gas, Sozin is able to look him in the eye and leave him there. And I th- and he I, rationalizes it to himself. He well, he's, he and, says, "Without you." All my plans are suddenly possible. Well, and that's this is where I get I'm curious because to me, had he been in that mindset beforehand, it would have been easier to let Roku fail from a distance than it is to look him in the eye and say that. So tell like for me, it would be easier to let him fail from a distance and be like, Oh, I well he's gone, now I can do my thing, rather than going helping Going through those, I, to me, it seems like it would be so much harder, and yet he does it. Like, I'm really curious about y'all's thoughts on this. I think he wanted to prove that he was better than Roku. I think it was a statement of, I'm outlasting you. I am better than you. I am the one that people should have been worshiping this whole time. I perceive that moment as it, it, I don't think he had made up his mind about what, I don't, I don't know that he wanted Roku to die when he was watching the volcano erupt yeah. from a distance. I think he made that decision in the moment on the island. And I think that's, that's a, a more generous assumption than mine. I, and I, I think <laughs> I'm more on, I struggled. I told you, I think I'm more on Cameron's page here because I think something in his perception changed. He was able to, he sensed something. He became aware through his senses on that island more than he was aware of it when he was farther away. And his further away response was to care for his friend. And then I think when he saw Roku, what he saw was not you. I think when he saw him, he associated him with his failures. And it was harder to to look him in the eye and see his friend up close than it was from farther away. I also noticed that, uh, or I, I, I assumed that, Roku, uh, did you notice in their opening fight, Roku and Sozin's, uh, it mirrors the final fight with the volcano. How, uh, so they're, 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 you know, dueling, they're, they're, they're sparring in a, in a courtyard and they, Sozin backs Roku up to a tree root. Yep. A force of nature exploits that to defeat Roku. Grabs him to keep him from falling, but then lets him fall. Oh, wow. Wow. I hate him. <laughs> Not Cameron. Love Cameron. <laughs> I hate Sozin. I... Sozin's so, like, it's so problematic. And that makes him, it almost makes him worse that he's able to see and see the humanity of Roku dying and then able to walk away from that than it is from further away. I right? wonder how much of it was. Seeing going back to the island to help with this volcano erupting, seeing just how powerful Roku is, interesting, and thinking, I couldn't beat him. I think it might have been seeing Roku in that moment fight the volcano, and once Sozin showed up, win. Yeah, 
it's just built i think it's just built up years and years of resentment but like it's yeah. I, the the i think i have to be more generous with this because from again from this distance he wanted to help his friend and i just think his resentment overpowered that initial thing and that build up of resentment was too powerful yeah he could he couldn't Ironically, I mean, we, we learn that firebending is restraint. To master firebending is to master restraint. Zhang Zhang tells us that uh, the, you know, the southern, the western, the nation, the, the sun warriors, that's yes, the word I was looking for. there we go. Okay, cool. <laughs> sun warriors teach us that. Uh, I mean, it's Zhang Zhang's first, like, real experience with Aang is restrain this fire in this leaf. Yeah, hold it. Yeah. And so, and, and it's interesting that... Sozin, Azulon, and Ozai, the bad, quote, firebenders, have no restraint. Zhao. Fascinating. Zhao sets all those ships on fire. Well, it's not just that. It's the Agni Kai with Zuko, where even though he loses, he can't restrain himself, and he fights back even after Zuko's turned his back. Well, and so I think the question, so how do we perceive ourselves when shame is involved? Ooh. Well, that's that's exactly what shame. I mean, it makes us seem unlovable. Like right. we, we cannot mm. find connection. Is and when... so when you perceive yourself that way, it's going to affect your outward behavior. As we see it affect Sozin throughout this process, right? So what I'm you're not saying... as good as Roku. Okay. There's more shame building up over time. So I that... think that's when he sees his opportunity to to prove that he's better. He takes it. Yep. I escaped. I got away. Well, because even at this point. Um, not the end, but does Roku get married first? Um, it's at his wedding. Yeah, it's, the, it's at the wedding. That's what, that's what. So like, Roku's the first to get married as well. Like, that's, I wonder if all this stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, builds on. It seems itself. that Roku's the first to get married. Yeah. Well, it seems like. So you're saying that it's again like Roku is getting all the goodies before correct. him. The life, he's getting all the, the accolades. Correct. He's getting all the praise. And Sozin's just. And I went to, he went to the Earth Kingdom. The Fire Lord. He went to the Earth Kingdom and got jacked. That's so true. <laughs> Did you know that was when he took off his shirt for the last scene of the Earth? Oh, my God. The moment where he says, it's bitter work, I point to the TV and go, ooh. Because <laughs> that's the title of the episode. Of the episode. Yep, bitter work. Zuko. It's yeah. also uh, a loose translation of Kung Fu. Interesting. Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know it that. It means like hard or bitter work. Kung, specifically. This is why you're here. I don't know these little I've had, tidbits. I've had years. To, uh, this is this is my brain. It is a Rolodex. Uh, <laughs> all this kind of useless entertainment trivia. All right, can let's. Are, is there anything else regarding the Avatar Roku slash Sozin? What uh, perception wise? What, what what are we missing on that? Uh, just the foreshadowing. I think of Sozin being an opportunist in the opening fight. Seeing that Roku is oh, one-footed a against point. a tree root and deciding to exploit that. What? If, there's such good Agreed. storytelling. This is such good storytelling. It's like the writing is good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Award-winning. Like, if yeah. this were rated, this would probably be rated, like, really well. Yeah, it's like people like this show. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's oh. like it's highly rated and people enjoy it and it's got tons of fans. Um, all right, let's talk, so let's talk, a little moment for perception for me is how our learnings affect our perception. And so I specifically am referring to Azula, who is very clear about reciting the Fire Nation history, mm. but is and, and how that creates her own perception or leads into her own perception when it's so wrong. Like we learn that what she's been told and taught, which we can assume is what every child in the Fire Nation is 
told and taught. And we've seen the educational system yep, and, and headband. headband. Yep. Um, and so how much does the learnings that you have that you think are correct play into the perception of the world that you're in? Well, I think this whole season, the, the beginning, the, the opening half of this season kind of plays with the audience's perception of the Fire Nation. And the gang's perception by, you know, the audience by extension. But it, it shows every episode so far, the headband, uh, you know, the painted lady. Sokka's, ma- Sokka's master, yeah. the painted lady. You see these Fire Nation villages or, or that towns. That are good? That these people are good? Have yeah. good people in them. Or have people, I guess I should say, who just who are not inherently evil. Yes. Well, that's the quote, right? Like, I think Roku says it at the end is... Or no, Aang says, says it at it, the yeah. end, right? Is people are neither good nor bad, but they have the capacity for to be for great evil and for great good. Everyone has to be treated like they are worth giving a chance. Yeah. Is, is, the, is Aang's wrap up quote for that? Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important message because I think they even walk away like, Sozin's a jerk. And he's like, that's not, I don't think that's the message. And I'm like, fine, Aang, tell me the message. That, that's how it <laughs> me as an audience member. I'm like, I get it, Aang. I should not hate Sozin. Well, this is, I mean, this follows the beach, which is probably the biggest shift in perception. Oh, as, it's as so the true. Audience. It's not a filler episode. I will say that every time. Yep. Absolutely it, not. To take the show's, quote, villains, quote, and, and show them in normal society you're humanizing them yeah you see that azula is a child bred for war and literally cannot function without it yeah literally that was very scary the way that she talked to chan (laughs) (laughs) very frightening yeah yeah but i think but i think that that just plays into the the environment that you're in the people that are around you are absolutely going to shift your perception of the world that you're living in well it's just like it's the idea and concept that history is told by the victors right Mm -hmm. whoever won is the people are the people who are telling the story right right? and that's very clear in the fire nation right it's like the the air nation armies exactly right and that's and ang we see ang respond to that in the headband and we talked about that but like it's just so interesting to think about about this idea of perception is it's it's based off our our knowledge which is based off of our bias which is like there's so much that like we hear something we learn it we assume it to be true then confirmation bias starts to help us find the one thing find that's the confirm things that confirm that, those right. right and ugh when i think that's why i said when when i want us to challenge perception is reality that's what i wrote well, in, in leader this is one of those things where leadership is conflicting being a leader, working through things that are not necessarily binaries or black and white, mm-hmm. because perception is reality. If someone shares with me that they're going through something, I need to take that as truth and work with them on that. At the same time, when I think something is my personal truth, I also need to work through that in a meaningful way to challenge that regularly. And it's tough when you have so many avenues to confirm your own beliefs and biases based off of your social media circle and the people that you follow and unfollow because yes i don't want to follow people that i think are dehumanizing or creating a mental space for me that's tough and i also want to expose myself to viewpoints that aren't mine and so how do i navigate that perception because one of it is nope i'm exhausted when i get off of instagram and i need to unfollow these people that are making me angry before i go to bed and I also need to 
make sure I'm getting more information that's not just what's confirming my own belief. And so how do I do that? I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah, I don't know if there is one. <laughs> I, I do not know. But if you figure it out or if someone tells you, I would like to know. Yeah. So I think that's that's the, the moment for me is where leadership is not this binary. It has conflicting ideals. And you have to be able to navigate that. You have to understand yeah. that that's important. Um, and I think we see that with Azula. I think we see that. Because we, we're going to say Azula's wrong or acting poorly majority of the time. Yeah, think mm -hmm. We also can have empathy for why she is that way. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I have I'm an Azula. I'm an Azula apologist. I live for her. I, <laughs> I do. I love her. Doesn't she get better in the comics? Like, don't uh, we get a little bit gets, more love for her? She gets a little bit a more humanization. Kind of like the beach. Yeah, uh, it's right. a lot more. It's a, more of like the opening of. And, you know, it makes me think. She is also the grandchild of Avatar Roku and Fire Lord Sozo. Right. Well, I think that's, she, that's so important to highlight. Oh, I love she that doesn't moment. Get, she doesn't get an Iroh. She yes. has Ozai breeding her for war. She has Lo and Lee, who are not anything to her personally. They, they are her firebending mentors, even though they aren't firebenders. Uh, like, she does not have someone. Ursa mentors Zuko because Ozai favors Azula so much. So she never had anyone to show her what else she could be. Which identity plays a major role in creating your own perception of yourself. Yeah. The people that you have around you that are creating identity spaces for you, which is why things like representation on through Avatar and Legend of Korra, mm. I think was so important um, because we, you internalize that whether you want to say that, art isn't important i think that you're drastically wrong like seeing characters and people that you can connect with and vibe with and help be that person that azula never had is so drastically important but i always sympathize with the villains because like i'm a disney villain fanatic and uh, you know I, I i look for that in all my villains is the, like why i love them uh Disclaimer. Why do you love Claude Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame? Because he is the most realistic Disney villain in history. Oh, that's what terrifies me the most about him. But he is, he's the only villain that Disney ever wrote that, like, could exist. In my opinion. Clayton, Gothel, Clayton could have existed. That's true. But yes, Claude Frollo is so real. That it, that's why it's so terrifying. Uh, disclaimer. Azula did horrible things, and I am not defending the things that Azula has done. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've talked extensively about my perception of Azula, so I'm just going to hold back. We are not professionals and cannot diagnose Azula. <laughs> Sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but I wonder, you see in the beach, you see that more empathetic. She shows empathy to Zuko. She goes and finds him at the house. And she says, you know, come down to the beach with me. This is this place is depressing. Uh, to then, now that she's back in the palace, back under Ozai's eye, you see right away in that first scene with her, she is back to herself. It's so true. It's so and true. I, you know, mm. is that because she's back around Ozai or is that just, you know. It, I just I think, think that's her natural operative. Like she like that's that's her natural state. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Two quick quotes I want to lift up that are in this episode. I like quotes. When love is real, it finds a way. Mm. So Roku talks about that and says that to Aang, which I think is just, that's a quote I like. When love is real, it finds a way. The other one is 
Roker sees uh, Roku sees the colony, and Sozin says, "Our nation first. And I think that I wanted to highlight how language shifts our perception of the world that we're living in, especially when we're unaware of how it's affecting us. Like that can so easily slip under the radar, but that type of language, language matters. Language matters. Words matter. Yep. We've talked about that. Yep. Mm -hmm. And when they go unnoticed, when we, we aren't sure why, like a lot of times what happens is we hear a certain phrase and we don't know why we disagree with it. But if we pay attention to like, what are the words really saying here? Oftentimes, if we perceive, if we become aware through our senses, all of a sudden we can realize why these words are so important and why language matters. And that is a clear indicator of something that's very problematic. Yeah. So that language, when I heard that, I was like, that's familiar language to hear talking about nationalism and our nation first before others and that just it struck a chord huh. yeah huh huh, huh. interesting <laughs> strange okay so but those are two quotes i wanted to lift up because i thought that they were yeah incredibly important what about other moments of perception in this episode I those quotes did a great job of talking about perception but uh we'll we'll go with you ben what do you have viewing viewing <laughs> this through perception for the first time i got the eruption being symbol symbolic of the war roku it came like out he of just nowhere couldn't hold it back anymore he, he was succeeding at holding it back and then a second eruption came and he could not do it mm. oh my goodness you're so perceptive you're better he's good at us he's <laughs> better like he's good at he's seeing these at things this. <laughs> this is so no that's awesome that like that was one of those you know, mind blown moments when I was watching yeah. it uh, for this. I, it just I, that that's like a meme me. moment where you're like somebody writes a nice write up on Twitter and you read it and you're like, oh my <laughs> god, like wow, and then like yep. oh, yeah, wow, dang. I that's... mean, because it, it is inevitable. You cannot stop a volcanic eruption, no matter how powerful a bender you are. Yeah. I think I think that Sozin would have started this war somehow well how fascinating is it regardless. like he's living and he and choosing to live in such a precarious spot too is really an interesting thing to think about is like choosing to live on an active volcano you're assuming it was a choice hawaiians have Fair. entered the chat <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you're, you're assuming it's you're assuming it's a choice you're assuming we've talked about the the privilege that comes with choosing where you are living it's called avatar roku island it is now <laughs> it, like it is now but at that point like did they have another option or are we talking about generations of people that just had to live there and didn't have a way of getting off that island again you right you, you bring a fair point Thank and you. i think the avatar probably has more choice and agency than the other yeah but if his family there. and friends and everybody else don't have that ability like where would you choose to live i also i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder, would Roku, because I, I perceive him, especially you know, in this last in his, in his last moments, I like I felt his age. Yeah, that's so and true. And I, I have to wonder. I assume he felt his age. Because I mean, Sozin was eighty-two when he started the war. Azula, you know, uh, yeah. it's in the it, it's in he, Fire Nation history. Yeah, uh, and. He was 82, so Roku was also 82. They have the same birthday. Yep. Uh, so, but it seems like 
Sozin is so much more fit in this moment than Roku because everyone ages differently. And I wonder, would Roku have been able to stop something like Sozin's Comet? Say Roku had survived this. Would he have been able to stop what Sozin wanted to do when the Comet came? That's an interesting point. Well, and does it speak into the being willing to hand the mantle over to someone else? Being able to know when it's not your your baton to carry and that it's someone else's baton to carry or or was it the universe acting as and making that decision and making that for decision you. for him mm-hmm. right which i that's for all of you theists theologists out there to to determine but i'm just that's a interesting point to lift up if you have thoughts you can do a nice little voice memo and send it to the archive we i did a voice it. memo that's it right was great it was. It, it was, was so it great. It was really helpful to listen to, actually. So thank you for <laughs> responding to it. Great. Yeah. See, y'all, it's it's fun to do voicemails. You get a response. It's really nice. We, I recommend. Nobody it. leaves you on red. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, you can follow us at bnb underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. That was a plug that probably could have gone somewhere else in this episode, but yeah. I put it here. So that's where it will stay. I liked it. Thank you. Let's talk about perception. So Toph sees differently, therefore she perceives differently. And she right? sees the whole city. And oh, so exactly. I found Love it interesting moment. that like Katara's like, there's nothing here. And then she's like, well, having different skills allows you to have different perceptions. Which, mm. to me, is really interesting because when perception is reality, that even more puts that into perspective of it being problematic right when when our perception there's nothing here that's very problematic because there's that's clearly not the whole story and so it just is really bringing me to this focus of perception is uh, i have to assume the perception is reality for others and i have to assume the perception is not my reality for me I have to constantly question my own perceptions and constantly believe the perceptions of others. Which doesn't mean you can't affirm your own perceptions as yeah. correct later, but you need to challenge them. Exactly. But I think, honestly, I didn't even think about it being a perfect allegory for, I don't have this skill set, I don't have this ability to perceive this way, and so look, nothing is here, versus no, an entire city, an entire story, an entire right. experience is here. Hundreds of houses. Yeah. Yeah. Death, despair, destruction are here, and you can't see it. And it's not because you don't want to. Sometimes you just, you can't. And so how do I help show you that? By listening to other people that have different experiences than us. Huh. Mic drop. Don't don't drop this mic. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Well, I don't have to because it's attached to the table. Yeah, but Max, you can add in sound effects of snaps, right? Do that in post. <laughs> That's, Great, that's thank funny. you. That's Max funny. just hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's oh, okay. we are laughing. We're laughing. We are saying jokes. That's a good point, though. If we go to yeah. that last moment, right? It's Aang helps shift perspective in that last moment by everybody. Dis- we said this already, but everybody's like, "No, Sozin's a jerk," and then Sozin, and then Aang's like, "No, no, no, no. That's not the point here, right?" And then they're all like, "Oh." I like looking at the world this way. And then they're all holding hands. And Sokka's like, well, actually. And Katara, scientifically speaking. Scientifically speaking. But, but like, just hold hands. And that's something. That's a moment there that I'm just like, Sokka, just hold hands. And that's such a good line for me. Because, like, I'm so the good. guy. 
I'm the guy who's going to be like, actually, <laughs> and it's just like, just hold hands. It's a good call. That's a call for me. Mm-hmm. He was like, that was, that the line was directed at me. Well, and even, even Toph, who challenges the gang's perception usually because of her experience. True. She was also on that page with Sokka and Katara about the Fire Nation. And yeah, know, it's her that says, it's like these people are born bad. Yep. And then Aang has to challenge that and, and open her. This is what a good show. It's so but good. But then she's also so engaged and wanting to believe that friendships can extend lifetimes. Like, that is such a hopeful moment for her. And we rarely see that type of vulnerability from Toph. And it's so, so true. That, that was such a powerful moment of just her having hope and belief and the power that that brought to, to that moment and to the gang. Power of vulnerability. Mm. Brene Brown, y'all. Have you heard of her? Yeah. Who is she? <laughs> what did she do? <laughs> there's a TED Talk. Actually, there's two. But anyway, uh, let's talk about Zuka for She's a second, can we? She's too famous to be on this podcast. If you have a connection to Brene Brown, we still are looking <laughs> for that connection. I'm going to put this out into the universe and hope that one day it comes back to us. Like, Brene Brown is going to be on this podcast at some point. If we'll it, see if we do this podcast <laughs> for like the next 15 years <laughs> we'll see i will listen in anticipation of that day it's yeah. coming all right let's talk about zuka for a second because that's my last one you all have might have more but that's my last thing i want to talk about um so i i find it interesting that he is delivered and like a message from an, an anonymous human of some sort Ooh, lee there's a million lees <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But, like, so my question is, who actually leaves the message? Uh, who is Iroh controlling? Because we, we learned that it is Iroh who sends the message. Um, but, one, who who does Iroh have that much influence over? And I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are. I wonder if it's Serena Williams. The the guard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Ming. Yeah, maybe not. I don't because she seems very. So just to be clear, the guard's voice is that of Serena Williams. Correct, correct. Because I don't think everybody will have known that. I think most Avatar fans know that. Not to shame anyone who doesn't know that. Like it's totally okay to not know that. But cool, 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 cool. But yeah, that's true. We haven't seen her yet. She also seems a little taken back when when he's kind of like, "You need to not be here." I think if she was in on his schemes, that she would have been like. Got it. That's, totally. That's but fair. Versus like her being like, okay. Given the kind of person that Iroh is and how he treats people, especially in that palace, that, which is controlled by Ozai, I imagine that he, you know, has some kind of uh, butler or something that respects him and would do something like that for him to deliver a message. Is there another sage that has like, that oh, feels true. the importance of... Oh, interesting. Because I assume the, the other... Sage. I'm going to make the assumption that the first sage that helped the gang is dead. I'm making that assumption. I'm going to assume they're in prison for life. I think the one who helped... They're at the Boiling Rock. Is, is, yeah, is dead. <laughs> um, and then... But maybe it's a new sage who feels important. It feels like this is an important moment. Interesting. If you have a theory as to who this person is, we would love to know... Because I don't think and Iroh... in what room and with what weapon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, if you know, give us a shout because we want to hear from you and know because I'm genuinely curious. Uh, so, okay. Then I think Iroh has a lot of control in this jail cell that 
is really interesting because he's able to like hide uh, artifacts. Yeah, he's an able artifact to... of the crown prince. Yeah, so had to go get that for him, and it was probably the same person who dropped. And off this where letter. did they get it? And how did he know about this crack in the wall? Iroh plans ahead Ooh. like Darth Sidious. Okay? I wonder. Did he plan getting captured? So no. was, so Roku. <laughs> did Roku put it on when he gets out of bed? To go no. fight, so he doesn't. No, he doesn't I have any. I specifically watched. So I wonder. <laughs> so I wonder if uh, his wife has it. Ah. Passes okay. it down to mom, and if mom is secret, secretly running around the Fire Nation. But I know that she's been like, she's been brainwashed. What's the deal? What's the comics? Oh, Ursa. Yes. So does she, she know all this? She does. She it's it's kind of loopy as comics tend to be, uh, but. She finds a spirit that in in her like childhood town home mm-hmm. that recon that, that like wipes her memory and gives her a new face. Right. But eventually that is undone. But at the time that like all of this happened when she was in the palace and been... stuff, she was herself. It was only after Ozai forces her into exile that she changes her identity. And she doesn't change all this until after all the events that are currently taking place. So in this moment, Ursa is face-washed. Yes, they find her after the end of book three. Great, so it couldn't have been her. There goes that theory. It is not Ursa who's delivering this message. Not to my knowledge. Because she, well, she would have been face-washed. Again, Barring curious. Barring further retcons. <laughs> also, curious about y'all's perception of this, because this is a mystery that I would like to solve. That's all I have. What do y'all have? Y'all have anything else? No, I have more for gratitude when we get there. We're not there yet. I know we're not there yet. We've also, we got a devotion that we got to think of answers for. I want to talk a little bit more about that Crown Prince uh, top knot holder. Okay. The artifact. I want it. it. Despite how Roku ended... In the afterlife, or, you know, whatever you consider the spirit world to be, but I think it's pretty well acknowledged that it's the afterlife, because Iroh is there, or, you know, what have you, but he, you know, in the Matrix, they talk about residual self-image, and how, like, you project what you want your person to be in the Matrix, and that's, Uh I imagine, how Roku's current appearance is the way it is, and not, you know, mangled by lava, so, <laughs> because that's typically the lore around ghosts and spirits is that you right. are in the spirit world based off the way that you died. Well, right. well, and we see Kiyoshi. We see all the avatars that manifest themselves in front of Aang, right? The astral projection that happens in right. front of Aang later in this series or later in this season, which is later in the same difference. But anyway, like we see them appearing not as old, whereas right. Roku is choosing to appear this way. Right. And I wonder if that's how he views his peak, but... What really spoke to me was that he is still choosing to wear Sozin's gift, despite the betrayal that led to his death. He is still honoring that friendship. I wonder if he perceives it to be his fault. I wonder if he hmm. perceives that he, I absolutely that he believe let he does. Sozin down, and so that's his. Well, way we of hear kind him. Of... We hear him say, "It's my fault. This is happening." We hear him say that throughout yeah. the series. Like, he see it, sees that in season one. But do you think he views that, that like, I should have killed Sozin? Or do you think he views it as, I should have handled those situations differently? That's, that, I, that. <laughs> yeah, I would hope the latter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the most generous assumption would be <laughs> that one. Well, and that's one of the things that I found problematic with, with Roku, is when he does put, you know, Sozin on a pike, 
his words are, or I will put an end to this permanently. He is threatening his life. Yep. And that That's was... That's Kiyoshi talking. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I, but, like, yeah. I, I just... I found that to be problematic. Yeah, no, Kiyoshi's definitely on Roku's shoulder, like, end him. <laughs> Do it. It's so much fun. <laughs> Finish him. Y'all, I want to be kind towards... Like, I, I think that I want to see Give him better. justice. Oh, let me it's be clear. This us. is admiration for Kiyoshi. <laughs> Just us. It's it's just us, Roku. Just uh, kill him. Justice. It's justice. It's just us here. No one would know. And on that note, we're gonna take a short break before we head into our devotion, which is where we believe the best in people. See you in a second. I blame this episode with Sozin for making for bringing all this out of me. I will work to be better. All right, break time. Welcome back. It's time for our devotion. But before we get to our devotion, I want to just enlighten you all as to the riveting off-topic conversation that we had while the while everything was paused. And I just think it's so... What? It was, it was on topic. It was off mic. <laughs> super on topic. Super off mic. But, like, everybody just was like, oh, we should have talked about this. We should have talked about this. We're not going to talk about all those things, but we are going to lift up a few things. So, Sunshine, you have a really powerful... Uh, concept of a character that we didn't talk about at all. Yes. Who is it? I want a full story arc of Sud, and I want it now. Cool. That's all you get. Cameron. Give it to me now. (laughs) Okay. I want today. (laughs) (laughs) That is my golden egg. (laughs) I want a Sud story arc, and I want it now. Well, I have a golden ticket to our next topic, so uh, Cameron, here we go. Tell me what you were you were just like you lifted up something that was really neat that was just worth pointing out. Oh, uh, so I was watching this episode and I, and there's that scene where it ends with Sozin giving Roku the top knot holder, but before that, Roku says, "Well, I was packing, but the monks told me I won't need any worldly possessions anymore," and that got me thinking. How much of each culture is the avatar expected by the world or by that culture to adopt? And is that only, even then, is that only while they're training there or is that in their life? You know? Yeah. I, I think for me, if I were the avatar, I would want to be as impartial as possible. And like, I, I think that's part of why Republic City was created by Aang, right? And I think it was created by Aang. It was his idea, baby. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, for Legend of Korra people. Anyway, I, I just think an impartial, for me, I would want to be impartial if I were an avatar. How much does that come off as, uh, I mean, this is a reference that will some people will get. How much does that come off as being like Aldous Snow from Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Because he's, he's got all the tattoos. <laughs> really? This is where you take this? <laughs> yes. Me, I but, got that reference. <laughs> but, he's, but he's got all the tattoos of the different cultures and is right. like, I'm a citizen of the world. But yeah. really, like, you're not. And right. you're, I think you're, the avatar is different. It comes off as cultural appropriation. Right. Is the avatar appropriating culture? Right. If, or, like if, or is it you're a Fire Nation? So be Fire Nation, but also have an awareness of everything else. Like it's okay to be Fire Nation, but also think and care about the water tribes and the Earth Kingdom. Right. And but be you. That's how I because think. Sozin, the villain of this episode, talks about you know uh, our nation first. 
and so how much of that, you know, you bring up an interesting point about cultural appropriation. <laughs> Very important that, you know, if you're a fire nation avatar, I mean, none of the avatars outside the air nomads that we know of get tattoos that would mark an airbending master in that culture. But the avatars are airbending masters. So that I wonder... How would it be perceived by right. the rest of the four other nations if that did happen? It's, it's just an interesting concept. So, yeah, I just wanted to lift those couple conversations up. We're not going to really just dive in and fully flesh them out. But uh, I do want to get to our Devo. So uh, our devotion today is looking at perception through a lens of air. So who wants to go first? Who wants to talk about their 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 takeaway when they think about perception and air? Me, because I don't want to forget what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. No, I wrote it down so that I would remember to do it. Uh, air is the element of change. We're shown that con- consistently in Ooh. the Avatar universe. So for me, I want to focus on changing my perception of somebody who I maybe made like a snap judgment about, or especially in these days, the wayward social media post can really prompt me to some harsh actions. Um, So I am called to reach out to someone who, of whom I have a bad impression at the moment, but have not always and try and like work through that, converse with them and like figure out. That sounds so tough. Like, I think about doing that, and I'm like, oh, God. It's exhausting just thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah, just thinking about it is exhausting. So, wow. Man, how about you, Sunshine? What what comes up for you? I'm going to add on to that because I think for me it's – you can't force the direction of the wind, but you can either shelter from it or you can harness it, Or but there's different ways you can navigate it. So I think for me it's how do we – challenge our perception let the as if if the if perception or if new information is the wind how do we take it in and either use it or learn from it or challenge our own perceptions and so i think for me this week it's going to be how do i challenge how i am seeing things um and making sure that i'm pushing forth the i don't know this is there's no right way to word this but how do i use this um, this information to better who I am and better how I'm seeing things around me and learning from other people. And so instead of necessarily fighting against the wind, learning from it and letting it be something that could guide me if I decide to let it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad because I don't know if I made sense when I said it. So I'm happy that was something that worked. Um, but yeah, no. I think that's what I'm going to try to do. I think it's a, a very neat perspective. Yeah. So, I've been teaching a class and teaching a cl- facilitating class is probably a better word. Um, essentially creating a uh, community with uh, people and just discussing kind of similar to the Vespers project. If you listen to that podcast for my other podcast, but essentially creating an in-person conversation that's trying to build community in a safe container for us to have difficult conversation. And I'm facilitating a group of um, people this week and we've been talking about really tough subjects, just all the things that are current. And uh, I've, I've been thinking about my, my language and my, uh, and what I've noticed is something I taught and learned early on was the, the, rather than asking, does that make sense? Instead asking, am I making sense? Because mm-hmm. it shifts the, it shifts the perception, right? right? It makes it so that 
you're you don't I don't I'm not making you seem dumb for not knowing by asking does that make sense it's not the onus is not on you but on rather my communication of the idea and I've gotten back into the habit of saying does that make sense instead of am I making sense and that I that came up for me today and I realized it and I I want to bring that back so my my goal is to really focus on whenever I'm asking that question it's am I making sense rather than does that make sense it's bitter work working on yourself. Oh, God. It there, is. It is. there it is. There it is. There it is. Found it. Ugh. Wow. Okay. It's kung fu. It's. Aha. Yeah. But um. So now. Uh, Max hated that joke, too. It's time for gratitude. Gratitude moments for all of us. So what you got? Who, what is it? What you got? What you got? I'm going to lift up Fang. Because that moment oh. where he goes in circles around Roku is... My heart. Yes. Heartbreaking. And I don't think we often give characters like Appa and Aang, or Appa and Fang, the credit that they deserve. They're literally... <laughs> that rhymed. <laughs> they're literally carrying the Avatar and the weight of the world like on their shoulders for majority of their lives. Um, and if it weren't for them, these Avatars might not be able to do what they're supposed to do. And so I just I want to give snaps and gratitude to Fang. He was also very loyal to be able to go in and try to protect. I love that Roku that way. Yeah, I love that. Love the loyalty of an animal companion. Aww. I'm gonna go hug my dog after we finish recording. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Tom in. And when we were talking about who we were grateful for offline. Uh, Tom N came up because like how hard would it be to be married to the avatar? And I just think about all of the, the pressure and all of the expectations and all of the, uh, everybody's perception of who we should be if we're married to the avatar and the judgment. And what we see from her, this episode is we see her, um, noticing at Roku from afar. We see, uh, Roku noticing her from afar, but, it's, it seems as though Aang's perception of Tommen is that she doesn't notice Roku, but it's very clear that she does. Every time Roku blushes and walk, and as Tommen walks by, you notice her like shift her eyes and start blushing as well. In the crowd, her she's blushing. She's she's clearly aware and notices him, and is and that in and of itself is unnoticed by Roku. It's unnoticed by a lot of people, and. I just have a lot of empathy for people who are walking through life, especially women who are walking through the world who are seemingly unnoticed. And that needs to be, that needs to change. And we need to be more aware. We need to perceive more, uh, the women in our lives. And so that's, that's my, my gratitude. I'm grateful for her and the, I'm certain the impact that she had on Roku's life and on the world because of that. Mm, yes. Yep. Snaps. Max, snap sound effect here. Thank you. <laughs> Why is this a thing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Soundboard. It's going to turn into my <laughs> bit for the rest of the season three. Um, I. That actually made me change my answer. I. Oh, wow. Am, uh, so originally I was going to lift up Toph for reasons we've already talked about that, you know, she is constantly the one challenging the uh, gang's visual perception. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes by extension, other perception. But uh, 
what you it reminded me talking about Tommen uh, of the scene where she it seems that she doesn't really notice Roku and when he just collapses on the ground so yeah. I'm gonna lift up very specifically young Sozin okay. because in that moment I never bought their friendship more than when he just starts putting grass on Roku's <laughs> Roku has just been, like, dejected by this super attractive girl. This girl that he is very attracted to. And Sozin's like, it's rough, buddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's putting grass <laughs> on, on Roku's do, face. Do, and, do, 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 here's some grass. Right. <laughs> so, like, that, I, it, it's just one of those weird things that, like, only your friend would do. It could do. And that's, such, that's so true. What a moment. And so that, that reminds me of, like, my own really close friendships and, the, like, the stuff that if you were put it in an animated show people would be like why are you putting grass on somebody but those kind of friendships are what i would like to lift up so and how do, that's just humanizes sozin in such an important way when at the end he does it with like ash toxic gas actually you're a terrible person. No, Sozin's a terrible <laughs> you, person. I, I just don't call me a terrible person for pointing out that Sozin is a terrible person. I want to clarify. <laughs> I said I wanted to lift up young Sozin. I do love that moment. Wow. Gosh. And on that note, good lord. It matters not like... what someone is born, but what they grow to be. And that is a murderer in Sozin's case. <laughs> He I didn't was murder say, him. He just left. He just he let Roku die. In he didn't case. like <laughs> Kiyoshi. If Kiyoshi murdered, uh, what's his I face? I don't think he did. <laughs> yeah, this, the is your, this is your head cannon. But he was just us. Okay. He, there's yeah. There's a difference he between let, just us and justice. I agree. Die. So Kiyoshi just split the earth, and the dude fell. Sozin let he, him die. He but also didn't stood his ground. Yeah, Kiyoshi didn't, but like, but here's what I'm saying. Yay, gratitude. <laughs> Sunshine! I'm, I'm appalled. This is probably... This is not the best version of myself, and it's because I was very angry at Sozin this entire episode. Take note, listeners. This is what happens when you get angry. It shows you that it's progress, not perfection, and I will say that every episode. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next week, we're looking at the runaway through transparency, so join us for that conversation. Oh, that'll be good. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And then after transparency is the puppet master. And yeah, that's going to be just a huge episode. lens for that terrifying, terrifying episode. If you have a lens that you want us to look at that episode through, you can join our Patreon and therefore get on our Facebook page. And there we love to entertain our Patreon users to talk about uh, what lenses we want to do, and we want to thank Jasmine for our lens next week. Yeah. Uh, she gave us a wonderful opportunity to uh, learn through a new lens. So it was one that suggestion. I wouldn't have picked. So I that was have it, it worked either. out it so was, great. It was really neat. So I'm really excited to dive into that with all. Yeah, of that's going to be really cool. Cameron, thank you oh so much for thank being you. here. <laughs> this has been so cool. You're better at this than we are, and I love having people that are better than me on the show and that's not sarcasm like no yeah like to be, learn and be better because clearly i'm still working on things. factually inaccurate <laughs> but continue i am better than no one at this i've just been watching the show a lot longer well that i mean when you know better you, you do, do better. better yeah that's right 
So. All right. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. This has been Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.